It was a warm fall evening in September 1865. U.S. Army doctor Abraham Thorne rode his horse into the mountains of Arizona, led by a band of Apaches. They had arranged a thank you trip for his service during the U.S. Apache Wars, as he treated both Apaches and Americans alike. Only, Dr. Thorne didn't know how they were going to thank him, nor where he was going. He'd been fully blindfolded and couldn't see a thing. All he could tell was that there was a river nearby. Wherever they were going, he'd have to be patient. Thorne let his horse do the leading, dozing off as day turned to night. They walked for hours until finally, around sunrise, they came to a stop. The Apaches let Dr. Thorne dismount and remove his blindfold. They had something to share with him, something they'd long kept hidden. It was a cave full of gold, and Dr. Thorne was told to take as much as he could carry. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on the Lost Dutchman Gold Mine, a cave many believe still sits in the Superstition Mountains, just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Today, it's allegedly worth up to $200 million, which is why roughly 8,000 treasure hunters search for it every year. Last episode, we discussed the life and legends of German immigrant Jacob Waltz. We talked about how he came to America, found his way into mining, and allegedly discovered that trove of gold somewhere in the superstitions. We also covered stories about Waltz passed down through generations. So this episode, we'll explore three conspiracy theories behind when and how the mine was first found. Some say Jacob Waltz might have murdered people to keep the gold to himself. Others believe it's tied to Apache legend, and they're willing to protect it at all costs. And finally, we'll consider whether Waltz learned of the mine through a Mexican family, and they may have offered stone maps leading to its location. Maps that still exist today. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. According to Helen Corbin, author of The Bible on the Lost Dutchman Goldmine and Jacob Waltz, Jacob came to America from Germany in 1839, along with his longtime friend, Jacob Weiser. For the next decade, they made their way around the U.S. looking for work. When the American gold rush took off, they joined thousands of prospectors in California, but made little money. So instead, they moved on to Arizona in search of untapped deposits. In 1871, the two allegedly found a large gold mine in a mountain range known as the Superstitions. A few days later, Waltz returned to the town as a rich man. Yet no one ever saw his partner, Jacob Weiser, again. From there, Many stories paint Waltz as an elusive, grieving man who financially assisted a baker in town named Julia Thomas. This was a widely accepted picture of Waltz until sometime around World War II. But after Waltz died, a newspaper article seemed to reveal his true colors, which brings us to conspiracy theory number one. Waltz was a murderer hungry for gold. The paper's story goes like this. One day in 1871, Waltz and Weiser went out prospecting in the superstitions. They'd previously joined a mining group in Prescott and had since relocated to Phoenix, but hadn't been making much money. Gold deposits were well picked over by then, and anything the group did find was split many ways. The superstitions, on the other hand, were dangerous and hard to navigate. It was a fairly untouched area. Waltz and Weiser likely thought if they found something there, it would be theirs to keep. They spent a few days wandering around, checking the canyons and jagged trails for valuable mineral deposits. For a while, they were unsuccessful, until one evening, while camped around a waterhole, they heard the sound of metal on rock, a pick 
breaking into the ground. The two men perked up. This was a sign of two things. First, that there was something worth digging for, something valuable. And second, they were not alone in the mountains. They'd have to tread carefully. Waltz and Weiser followed the sound to a canyon by the river, leading them to a volcanic rock formation known as Weaver's Needle. There, they saw two men digging away at the hillside. By the looks of it, they'd found a gold mine. Problem was, these men definitely wouldn't want to share their spoils, which Waltz and Weiser knew. If anything, the duo had spent too many years splitting their profits. They didn't come from Germany to barely scrape by. So Waltz urged Weiser to grab his gun. Then, the two aimed their rifles and shot, watching the other miners fall to the ground. They went up the hill to collect their keep. After stepping over the dead bodies, the two men found a cavern. And they were right. It was full of gold. Waltz was delighted. But that feeling soon gave way to indecision. Initially, he might have planned on splitting the findings with Wiser. Yet seeing the spoils, they were easy to covet, to want all of it, or to end a friendship over. So according to this version of the story, Walt did the unthinkable. He pulled out his rifle, turned it on his lifelong partner, and shot Wiser dead. Now, this particular tale was a huge stretch, as up until then, it seemed Waltz and Weiser had absolutely zero reason to quarrel. In fact, during Waltz's early mining days, he seemed like a sweet man, making sacrifices for the group. According to a memoir from an 1863 expedition leader named A.H. Peoples, Waltz basically put an injured miner on his back and carried him to shelter. But it's possible his demeanor changed over time, especially in the presence of great riches. And while the idea that Waltz killed Weiser might seem far-fetched, there's another story suggesting he wasn't as kind-hearted as he appeared. When Waltz was on his deathbed in 1891, it's rumored that he gave the mine's location to his longtime admirer, Dick Holmes. He also, according to Dick, confessed to a series of events involving Waltz's own nephew, a story that would affect his reputation for decades to come. A few weeks after discovering the mine, Waltz allegedly wrote to his sister in Germany, asking her to send her son to the U.S. He said he needed help with some work and included several thousand dollars, more than a few years' pay for the time. Then he basically hinted, there's more where that came from. So his nephew, Peter Backens, left Germany and set out for Phoenix. Soon after Backens' arrival, Waltz took him to the superstitions to see the gold. For the next several months, Waltz and Backens made trips out to the mine, taking small amounts with them each time. Waltz seemed suspicious of anyone else finding out about it. Backens, however, didn't love Waltz's strategy. Instead of hiding the location, he wanted Waltz to lay a legal claim to it, to record it as his property. This was pretty common practice at the time and still holds up today. 
If a prospector found a store of a valuable mineral on public lands, they could essentially apply to have the sole rights to it. But for some reason, Waltz didn't want that. Perhaps he didn't want to be taxed on it. Regardless, when Backen suggested he lay claim to the mine, Waltz supposedly refused. For what may have been several years, Waltz and Backens fought about the issue. Backens was likely tired of heading to the mine and laboring tirelessly without help. It would have been easier to lay claim to it, hire a crew, and take it all out at once. The profits could be managed securely with a bank, but Waltz reportedly made that impossible. This rift came to a head one morning in 1876 when the two set out to the mine once again. On their way, they camped at a place called Agua Escondido, not far from the mountains. There, they allegedly had the worst fight they'd ever had, one that ended with Backen saying, quote, I'm going to record the mine myself, whether you want to or not. This may have left Waltz feeling threatened, like he had no choice. If he let Backens go, perhaps all his work at keeping the mine hidden would go to waste. He'd have to split his keep. Allegedly, that's when Waltz pulled out a gun and shot his nephew between the eyes. He dragged his body under a nearby boulder, dug a grave, and buried him in the sand. Although there are a few things that make this story questionable. For one... The only record of this happening came from Dick Holmes. If you recall from part one, Holmes was an intense fan of Waltz and followed him around relentlessly. Holmes claims to have received all this information during a deathbed confession by Waltz. But there's no concrete evidence suggesting Holmes talked to Waltz one-on-one at all. However, there is proof that Backens and Waltz had already recorded claims on several mines, essentially debunking their entire fight. This evidence comes from an alleged photo of an old mining claim document. It's dated 1864 and lists both Waltz and Peter Backens as owning a mine called Big Rebel Load. This shows that Waltz had no problem taking claim over what he believed was his and being taxed on it. And when it comes to the murder of his partner, Jacob Weiser, there's just no evidence or rational reason for it. Why would Waltz, after all those years of friendship, turn on his best friend? It seems especially odd since he'd shown no violent tendencies in the past. You're right about the Waltz killing Weiser theory, but Peter Backen still remains a bit of a mystery. From what we know, there's no record of Backens after 1876, meaning he did essentially disappear, and it's possible Waltz had something to do with it. So on a scale of one to 10, with one being the absolute truth, I give this theory that Waltz killed for his gold a four. It's a two for me. The majority of this information is coming from Dick Holmes, and I just don't believe he was telling the truth. Records are thin from that area and time period, so Peter Backens likely just got left out. As for Weiser's disappearance, Waltz himself offered a different explanation. If you remember from part one, Waltz believed Weiser was killed by a band of Apaches, which begs the question, 
Why would the Apaches attack Wiser? Maybe because it was their goal to begin with, and they'd do whatever it took to protect it. Coming up, a great leader, an earthquake, and a cave full of gold. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from the ParCast series Mythology. Every Tuesday, join me on a wondrous journey back in time, exploring the most epic battles, sweeping love stories, and harrowing adventures ever told. Heroes, gods, monsters, mayhem. This podcast has it all. From the Knights of the Round Table and Hori the Hunter to Paradise Lost and the Lost City of Atlantis. Each episode of Mythology dramatizes history's greatest stories, bringing their origins to life and giving insight into how our ancestors saw the universe. Ancient myths, modern twists. Catch new episodes of Mythology every Tuesday and binge the classics anytime. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now back to the story. After prospector Jacob Waltz's death in October 1891, rumors about his past began to surface. Some said he'd killed his partner and later his nephew. Papers eventually painted him as a money-hungry miner, hell-bent on keeping the cavern full of gold all to himself. But it's very likely Waltz wasn't the first person to find the mine which leaves the question of who else could have seen it and how all that gold got there in the first place. Which leads us to our second conspiracy theory. The mine is actually an indigenous stronghold, long protected by the Apache people. This theory begins with a legend about the Apache. The nation is thought to have settled in modern-day Arizona sometime around 1400 CE. And according to author S.D. Conitzer in her book The Sterling Legend, they soon became very wary of the mountains we know as the superstitions. And for good reason. Their tale goes like this. Centuries ago, a powerful leader named Montezuma had many mines in the Superstition Mountains. One version of the story claims that he enslaved captives from enemy tribes to work them. The conditions were horrific. The servants were underfed, locked in small cells, and treated as expendable. If they died, they were easily replaced. This allowed Montezuma to accumulate a tremendous amount of wealth. But after mining for some time, he had premonitions of a terrible disaster— 
something that could wipe out the area entirely. So Montezuma took his enslaved captives and all of his gold and herded them into a cave in the mountains. Soon, a large earthquake struck, trapping them all inside, forever sealing off the treasure. Of course, this is just a legend. There's no way to prove this is how the Dutchman's mine was formed. But there's something to the story of the earthquake, so indigenous lore could be rooted in science. Scientists have long believed Earth's gold came from the stars. When the Earth was still young, asteroids and meteorites carried the precious metal towards our planet, cementing it deep in the planet's core. But over time, earthquakes and volcanic eruptions pushed the gold up, forming large gold veins in mountains. So it's possible the gold mine was due to past seismic activity in the area, just not in the way the story really describes. From the documentation we have, we know there were some smaller Arizona earthquakes before Jacob Waltz arrived in 1863, but we have little record of any before then. Regardless, this story remained in the memories of indigenous peoples for centuries. And because of it, many local inhabitants believe the superstitions were two things. One, a place to be feared. They often heard mysterious sounds, like the howls of souls trapped inside that cave, and thus referred to the mountains as the entryway to hell. And two, they felt they were a place to protect. If there was a large treasure to be found in the mountains, it seemed the Apaches didn't want anyone else to have it. To some indigenous groups like the Pimas and Maricopas, the Apaches were seen as a force to be reckoned with. They were said to threaten their neighbors if they encroached on their territory. And supposedly, these attacks grew exponentially in the 19th century, just after the arrival of white settlers and prospectors. Which suggests maybe they were protecting something of value there after all. Take Captain Joseph Walker's party, for example. They explored Arizona in the early 1860s, and Walker's journals detail a great number of Apache attacks throughout their travels especially when they got close to the superstitions. Given this was happening right in the middle of the Apache Wars, major conflicts sprung up throughout the entire American Southwest. But according to some researchers, there was one place and one time when the Apaches seemed to be particularly combative, the years after Jacob Waltz found the gold. We've mentioned throughout how Jacob Weiser disappeared in 1871, and Waltz believed he was attacked and killed by Apaches. It's very possible they spotted the men digging in their mine and later attacked Weiser as a warning to anyone who dared approach. According to Tom Whedon, a late 19th century journalist, Apaches became even more combative around the superstitions from 1879 to 1889, the same years many were heading into the hills in search of Jacob Waltz's mine. However, there's one really important story that happened just before Waltz found the mine, and it may be the best evidence we have of the Apaches having a stronghold over the area. 
Allegedly, in September 1865, the Apaches wanted to thank U.S. Army doctor Abraham Thorne for his equitable treatment of both American soldiers and Apache families. They blindfolded him and took him through the superstitions. They rode by horseback into the mountains, taking a circular route so Dr. Thorne wouldn't be able to tell where he was going. By sunrise, they stopped and allowed him to remove his blindfold. Then they showed him their gold. It was a jaw-dropping moment, which only grew when the Apaches told Dr. Thorne he could take some with him. So he filled his sack, but he realized he could go back for more if he remembered some nearby markers. Rumor has it Dr. Thorne zeroed in on a lone, sharp peak, kind of like a thumb sticking up nearby. He held on to that image as he returned home. Later, when he exchanged the gold for money, he found it was worth $6,000, an amount that could pay rent for the rest of his life. It's not entirely clear whether or not he tried to return to collect more. From what we know, he disclosed the story to only one friend. Over time, however, Dr. Thorne's story leaked. More details and theories were added, like he'd been kidnapped and was being held prisoner when he learned about the gold, or he searched for the mine again but was never able to find it. We're not positive this is the same mine as Jacob Waltz's, but one thing remains consistent across all Waltz and Thorne's legends, the canyon and the sharp peak. Many theorists believe it's a landmark known as Weaver's Needle, so it's possible the two mines were one and the same. But there's no proof that Dr. Thorne was ever taken to an Apache mine, or if he even existed at all. There's no record of any Abraham Thorne being employed by the U.S. Army during that time. As far as it being a protected Apache mine, the attacks largely stopped when the battles ended, which means they were likely related to war, not treasure. Today, the superstition's hiking trails are full of recreational walkers and gold seekers alike, and yet there's no attacks. So maybe at one point in their history, they believed gold was hidden in their mountains. But largely, I believe they were trying to defend their land. For that reason, I give this theory a four. I'm giving it an eight, mainly because there seems to be a wealth of indigenous lore focused on a specific location in the superstitions. And just because there's no record of Dr. Thorne doesn't mean he didn't exist. As we mentioned in the last theory, record-keeping was thin in that place and time. Plus, there's evidence from Jacob Weiser himself that the Apaches were protecting the land. It's possible that Weiser didn't actually die like Waltz once believed. Instead, he might have made it out of the mountains alive. And he may be the key to finding the treasure today. Coming up, the mine's possible location and the family with all the clues. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
Now, back to the story. In the fall of 1871, Dr. John Walker was living near Fort McDowell, about 20 miles northeast of Phoenix. There, he treated the indigenous and Americans alike. Most of his patients were injured from various battles, like the Pima versus Apache or American versus Apache. But one day, two Pima men carried a white man to Dr. Walker's home. He had a sack with him and an arrow lodged in his shoulder. He said his name was Jacob Weiser, and he had a story to tell concerning the mine's origins. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number three. The mine was first discovered by a powerful Mexican family, and they've since left behind maps with the location of the treasure. When Weiser made this reveal, he was deathly pale. He'd lost a lot of blood and had gone days without medical care. Dr. Walker gave him plenty of drugs and laid him down for a good night's sleep. But by morning, Weiser contracted a serious case of pneumonia. It was clear he wasn't going to make it. He looked at Dr. Walker and asked if the Pimas had brought his sack. Dr. Walker nodded and handed it to him. Inside was a piece of rawhide with a drawing on it, a map. Weiser then explained, earlier that year, he and his partner, Jacob Waltz, went to Mexico to do some prospecting. After being in Arizona for a decade or so with little success, the trip was their chance to find some new, untapped mineral sites. At one point during their stay, they wandered into a gaming tent, perhaps looking to blow off steam. But soon after, their plans for revelry were thwarted. They saw a young Mexican rancher being cheated by the game's managers, something that didn't sit right with Waltz and Weiser. From there, a fight broke out and the Mexican rancher was knifed. Weiser and Waltz took the wounded man back to his home, essentially saving his life. There, they learned the man's name, Don Miguel Peralta. Grateful for his life, Don Miguel wanted to thank them with money. As far as we know, he didn't have much on hand, but he did have a rawhide map, one with the location of a rich gold mine back in the superstitions, where Weiser and Waltz were from. Which is a huge coincidence. The chances of meeting someone in a different country who worked in their town had to have been one in a million, especially back then, when travel was more difficult. But at the time, Arizona was an area flush with miners, so not that big of a coincidence as far as the industry goes. Regardless, Don Miguel's map allegedly came out of an expedition led by some of his relatives. According to a theory discussed in S.D. Conitzer's book, The Sterling Legend, it all started with a man named Miguel Peralta and his three sons, Pedro, Manuel, and Ramon. Miguel had long mined silver on their land in Mexico, but by the 1840s, the metal was drying up. Miguel knew he had to find new deposits for income. He wanted to head north, but he was getting older and couldn't make the trip himself. Instead, he sent his three sons on the journey, one that led them to the Salt River in Arizona. Initially, the brothers found some gold in the banks, but then traced its source to a canyon in the superstitions. 
The boys followed it up the mountain to a cave with gold deposits so rich they knew they had to return with a bigger crew. That's exactly what they did. Over the next few years, the Peraltas set up camp and mined the superstitions. Their gold stash grew bigger and bigger. But the Apaches weren't keen on outsiders lurking around their land. The Peraltas were well aware of the Apache threat. They were also aware the territory they were mining in would soon come under the United States' control. It would soon be more difficult to go back and forth. So they decided to make one last trip with an even larger crew. But to do so, they needed to communicate the mine's location. So, allegedly, the brother Pedro drew a series of maps. This helped the last expedition find the mine, but the Apaches were waiting. Then they allegedly attacked the Peralta family, killing all but one man, a cousin by the name of Gonzalez. He returned to Mexico with one of the maps. We don't know exactly what happened from there. We can guess Gonzalez went back home, and somewhere along the way, the map landed in the hands of Don Miguel Peralta. He held on to it until 1871, when he got in that brawl and was saved by Walton Weiser. Then, as a gesture of his gratitude, he showed them his map, offering to share some of the gold that remained. Weiser told the doctor that Don Miguel also went with them to the superstitions. They followed the river leading to the canyon, and sure enough, he showed them a mine with a seemingly bottomless pit of gold. He said Waltz and Weiser could help themselves to half. From there, Jacob Waltz went to get more provisions so they could work the cave. And while he and presumably Don Miguel were gone, Weiser was attacked by Apaches. Three days after telling this story, Jacob Weiser died. From what we know, the doctor didn't do much with the story or the map. It's possible he believed Weiser was delusional from his illness, telling fables on his deathbed. The thing is, though, Weiser's story matches up almost exactly to those passed down by Julia Thomas and Dick Holmes. Many of them mention Waltz saving a Mexican man and how that man thanked Waltz by leading him to a gold mine. Whether he believed the origin story or not, Dr. Walker did allegedly give the map to a friend named Tom Whedon in the 1880s. According to Whedon's daughter, however, the map might have gotten thrown out by her mother, who was fearful of her husband heading into the perilous superstitions in search of treasure. So, for a while, the map was MIA. But it might have shown up again in 1931, when Adolf Ruth headed into the mountains to find the lost Dutchman's gold. Because if you recall from part one, he also began his expedition with the help of an old map. Problem is, Ruth's instructions were never recovered, so there's no way to tell whether this is the same map given to Weiser and Waltz. But again, something of note popped up over a decade later in the 1940s. Off of Highway 60, roughly 30 miles away from the superstitions, a laborer was working on a fence when he stumbled across something in the ground. According to historian Tom Collinborn, it was large and flat with etchings and engravings. He picked it up, 
brushed it off, and saw it depicted a priest with Spanish writing. One line in particular stood out. Busca el mapa. Look for the map. On the other side was another engraving. This one was a horse with the phrase, Yo pasto al norte del rio. I graze to the north of the river. It indicated this stone was an additional map leading to the treasure. The laborer, however, didn't really know what he was looking at, except that the stone seemed old and valuable. So he went back into town and sold them to a tourist with the last name of Tumlinson for $100. Tumlinson, however, didn't understand the phrasing either. So he took the artifacts to his brother to decipher. According to one Arizona Legends website, Tumlinson then went to the original spot the stone was found and discovered two more, each with engravings that looked like rudimentary maps. One had a squiggle down the middle that appeared to represent the Salt River flowing through the superstitions. The other had a date ingrained into it, 1847, the same time period the Peraltas were in the area. And there were two names written on them, Pedro and Miguel, two of the brothers on the expedition. Tomlinson believed these were additional maps to what became known as the Lost Dutchman Gold Mine. One was on Rawhide, but Tomlinson believed these stones might have been backups in case the first was lost. After his discovery, Tomlinson ventured into the mountains with his family, but he didn't find anything of note. When he died, he left the stones to his widow. Then, in the early 1960s, a man named Clarence O. Mitchell convinced the woman he could decipher the stones. Once she handed them over, he formed a corporation titled M-O-E-L and sold shares to fund a search party for the Lost Dutchman Mine. Mitchell raised close to $70,000 and even convinced Life magazine to do a feature on him. But by the end of the decade, no investor got their money back. The Stones and the company were believed to be a hoax, and the state of Arizona threatened to indict Clarence for fraud unless he promised to stop seeking investors. Yeah, that didn't stop Dutchman mania from exploding, thanks largely to these Stones. Today, entire internet forums are dedicated to dissecting the maps, whether or not they're real or a hoax. Enthusiasts remain split on the Tumlinson affair. Some say he genuinely found the stones. Others say he carved them himself. While I agree the stones are a long shot, I do believe there might be some truth to the original rawhide map that Weiser and Ruth had. There were multiple people who'd heard the story of the Mexican man Waltz and Weiser saved. And it's not that far-fetched to believe someone else got to the stash before them. Not to mention, there was a wealthy Mexican landowner named Miguel Peralta around the time. But there's absolutely no way to know whether this is the same Miguel Peralta referenced in the legend. So, I'll give this theory a six. That makes sense, but it's still a hard sell for me. Because there's not much proof the Peralta family played any role in this. The coincidence that Waltz and Weiser found a map to nearby treasure while traveling in Mexico is pretty unbelievable. Most of these stories are just stories passed down through generations. As for the stones themselves, 
Well, as of 2017, they were reportedly on display at the Superstition Mountain Museum in Apache Junction. But as far as we can tell, nobody has confirmed their age or authenticity, which is why I'm inclined to believe they're an attention-grabbing gimmick. I give this theory a four. However far-fetched some of the stories of the mine are, the truth is it's a lot more fun to believe in the treasure and Jacob Waltz coming to America to strike it rich. Which is why so many go searching for the gold mine despite the perilous superstitions even today. You have to admire those Dutchman seekers. They're convinced there's a fortune to be had in the mountains, and they'll do anything to find it. Even if that means risking their lives. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. For more information on the Lost Dutchman gold mine, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Bible on the Lost Dutchman gold mine and Jacob Waltz by Helen Corbin extremely helpful to our research. We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember... The truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Stacey Nemec, edited by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Katovich. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Mm-hmm.